Father, this morning, thank you for the opportunity that we have to consider just the promise of your resurrection. And Lord, help us to live in light of that. Lord, open our understanding. We want people to see Christ in us now, today. And uh, we live Christ by your grace. Lord, according to your word, we'll live Christ. Uh, But Lord, ultimately, we're looking to be completely conformed. We're looking to be translated at the resurrection. And so, Lord, we want to we want to see our hope, uh, our hope in the resurrection this morning, and so we trust you to help us in that. And then, Lord, thank you for the, 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 just the opportunity to worship you in our giving. Again, it's just a little awkward to, to still, after all this time, to not have, uh, you know, the offering to be part of our worship, and yet, Lord, uh, it, that's who we are every day. Uh, Lord, we're to give first of ourselves, of our own life. Uh, that is to be given back into your service. But, Lord, we do pray that you'd bless the gift, the giving, the worship in, in giving it. Lord, we ask that you'd bless uh, the resources to your glory. God, use this church to make disciples, not just here in Kansas City, but around the world, and, and then be glorified in that. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we are in Philippians chapter 3, and we see the, the arc of this thing Unfolding In verse 10, Paul says he's all about knowing Christ, knowing the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. He says, I want to lay down my life as a disciple of Christ. I want to be made conformable to his death. And then, because that's the goal, okay, if we're mature, this is what we're going to pursue in Philippians 3. Uh, as many, verse 15 Right, we're, because we know the resurrection's coming, and we want reward at the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to pursue a life of knowing Christ, of entering into His fellowship. And if we're mature, that's the way we'll think. Verse fifteen: uh, This is the rule that all of the mature walk by. If you're not mature, God will show that to you. And then verse seventeen: We see that mature people lead. There are examples of people who get this that we need to follow. And then in verses 18 and 19, we see there are examples of people who don't care about knowing Christ. All they care about is knowing their flesh, pleasing themselves in the flesh. Uh, Verse 18 calls them enemies of the cross of Christ. So you have the ability to call yourself a Christian but not pursue the life of Christ. If you give yourself to making yourself happy in the pursuit of you know, the pleasure of your belly God, pursuing your life in the flesh, you end up the enemy of the cross of Christ, and a life in the flesh will be destroyed, verse 19. The end is destruction, and there's glory and shame, and so don't waste your time. Well, what keeps us focused right? So this is the title this morning. We need to focus on our heavenly future. So look at Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21, and, and, and before we read this, just let me ask you this. Where's your mind at? As you think about how you live your life, where is your mind primarily fixed? What's your focus? Is it with Christ and your future with Christ, or is it back with the guys in verses 18 and 19, or just focused on living a life that pleases themselves in the flesh? Philippians 3.20, our life, our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body 
that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So, point number one, in terms of a right focus, we need to remember that our citizenship is in heaven. We talked about this last week. Citizenship means your lifestyle, right? Your conversation. What what community do you belong to? So, whether you realize it or not, being a citizen of the United States is not your primary uh, that's, not, not, that's not your primary place as a citizen in our nation. Thank God that we live here. Thank God for the privileges that affords. But this planet, this nation's not really our home. We are fellow citizens with the Apostle Paul in a place called heaven. Our king is Jesus. And so every day when you get up in your house, you need to remember this is not ultimately your home. This is not where you're going to spend your forever. You ought to remind yourself this world is not your home. You're just passing through. Heaven is your home. So like Abraham, we're looking for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And we said this last week. This is why we don't don't focus on a political agenda at MBT. Our primary focus is really from out of this world. Vote, right? Pray. We, We need to pray for those who are in authority. From City Hall to the White House, we want to pray for our leaders. Why? Because we want them to leave us alone. We want to pray that we'll have a quiet and peaceable life so that we can get focused on the business that our king has called us to, which is to win souls and make disciples and multiply making disciples over the face of the earth. We are citizens of heaven. Jesus is our king, and he's coming to this earth to claim us, and that is our sure hope. And so when you think about, especially in America right now, when it's becoming so politically, so socially divided, How, what is your focus? Because let me tell you something, this is key. How you speak and live is determined by your allegiance. Who are you aligned with? What is your allegiance to? Are you from heaven or are you from here? Is your home in heaven or or are you trying to build a kingdom for yourself on this earth? So if Christ is our king, if heaven is our home, point number two, then our confidence, our hope is in him and it's to him. It's from heaven that the believer looks, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus promised us this in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am There you may be also. And whenever you look at the beauty of creation and you think about Jesus going to make a home, preparing a place for his family, how many know that heaven is going to be out of sight? I mean, it kind of literally is right now. But when you get there, you're going to be like, dying, oh my, out of sight. This is incredible. He is preparing a place for us. And that ought, to, that ought to fix your focus every day you're here on your lifelong missions trip, Christian. That ought to fix your focus. Don't let anyone, don't let any situation, don't let anything rob you of that hope, rob you of that perspective. You know, for some of you, you're born again, and the thought of Jesus coming back for you, it doesn't fill you with hope. It fills you with a little bit of dread. The idea that the trumpet could sound today and we'll be caught up with the dead in Christ to be with the Lord forever in the air. That makes you nervous. It doesn't fill you with hope. Maybe you wonder how God's going to keep his word. Well, what are your options? 
I mean, if your focus is wrong, you're not going to look and long for the return of Christ. But what are your options? Do you, want your, do you want your destiny to be with this earth that will one day fall under the judgment of God? Man, no, our hope is in Christ. See, if there's no resurrection of the believer, if Christ isn't coming back for us, can I just tell you something? If Christ is not coming back for his bride, why, why live the Christian life? We ought to wise up and be with the guys in verses 18 and 19 and try to get satisfaction and some heaven for our flesh on this earth. And Paul said as much in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 32. He says, I fought with beasts at Ephesus. He says, if after the manner of men I fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantageth it me if the dead rise not? I mean, if Christ isn't coming back, let's eat, drink, and be merry, right? Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. If Christ is not coming for us, then we are wasting our time in this room this morning because the hope of the gospel is eternal life in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 tells me I don't live on, I don't get eternal life through my children. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says, for as an Adam, all die. All I passed on to my three kids is the DNA code for death. I mean, they're young. They look like they're going to live forever. Nope, that was me yesterday. Check it out. I mean, I'm going to turn around twice, and I'll be the crypt keeper. I mean, that's what's happening. If all goes well, you get 70 or 80 years, and then you die. That's what you get. Is everybody okay? All right, make sure uh, we're all right. The trump, it'll be a trumpet sound when the, when the rapture happens. I don't live through my accomplishments. That's not going to do it. Nobody's going to even remember me 100 years from now. My great-great-grandchildren won't even know my name. I mean, you think about that. How many in this room this morning, you know all of your great-great-grandparents, you know all their names? I will bet nobody does. A hundred years from now, nobody will even know who you are. First Peter chapter 1, verse 24 says, For all flesh is as grass. I don't remember last year's long clippings. I just don't remember. Man, that was a great blade of grass. I hate to see it go. It was just rough, man. I'm just <sighs> such a good blade of grass. I mean, no, nobody's going to even remember. If Christ isn't coming to raise me from the dead to eternal life, if I don't live for him with, uh, with Christ forever, if that's not my hope, then I am wasting my time right now. I could be at the lake right now working on my tan if Christ isn't coming back. Does this make sense? It helps you keep your perspective. The, resurrec- the resurrection of the dead is the great controversy of life. The world tries to reach eternal life through science. They don't want the resurrection. They want eternal life without God. And the world hates what I've found in Christ. You know, in Acts chapter 1, the apostles witnessed of the resurrection, right? They were witness to the resurrection of Christ. In Acts chapter 3, preaching the resurrection, they had 3,000 people come to Christ. But by the time you get to Acts chapter 17, or uh, Acts chapter uh, 17, the resurrection from from the dead, they're mocking it already. And by chapter 23 and 24, it's the hope of the resurrection that brought Paul under persecution Just that fast, the world views the resurrection as foolishness. The resurrection, it's foolishness to the world, and it's the first point of faith and witness for the believer in Christ. If you don't have the resurrection to look forward to, you don't have any hope. And I'm telling you, if you're not, if your hope isn't in the resurrection of Christ, then you are, your hope is in the flesh. 
Your hope is with the guys in verses 18 and 19, trying to satisfy a belly God to get some heaven for yourself on earth. That's where you're at. If you don't have the resurrection to look forward to, then you don't have hope. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 19 says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. So, okay, preacher man, why are you so convinced? I mean, how's the resurrection going to happen? How does, the resur- how does the believer, right, live forever after the resurrection? Well, look at verse 21. We see that our conforming, our resurrection, it's complete in Christ. It says he will change, Jesus, who will change our vile body. Turn to your neighbor and do not tell them that their body is vile. Don't do that. Just know it in your heart. I told you we we're going to look at this, right? And you're going to look at this one way or another. Either you're going to look at it through the Word of God, right? You're going to either view yourself as being resurrected with Christ in the air, or you are focused on what you can live for yourself in this world. We've got to examine this incredible truth. The flesh right now is vile. Vile literally means the body of our humiliation. Uh, we know instinctively the flesh is vile. I've told you this story before. Whenever I first got married, I'm living in my own house. I'm like, I don't have to get dressed before I leave my room. The blinds are closed. I can walk through my house naked. And I kind of got used to that. And I finished Bible school, um, got my Saturdays back, and I'm like, what's on TV on Saturday morning? When I was a kid, it was all cartoons. So I'm flipping through channels. I'm eating my cereal. I'm in my easy chair. And I'm just watching TV, and then all of a sudden it hits me. You know, the mail's come. So I'm on my way to the mailbox when I feel a breeze in a place I've never felt a breeze before in my life. And that's when it hits me. I'm halfway to the mailbox. It's not on the front of the house. It's out on the street. It's a pretty good-sized front yard. It's out on the street by the road, right, The, the, the mailbox. And so what do I do? Do I start strutting? Hey, neighbors, check me out. No, we know instinctively, if your clothes got raptured right now and you got left behind, what would you do? Instinctively, you would cut. Why? Because the flesh, you know, it's vile. Don't, don't look at me. What are you doing? You're hiding. The flesh is vile. It's vile physically. You know it. 30 minutes in the gym, 30 hours between Showers, 30 days in the grave, it's vile. The proof is in the pudding. It returns to the earth from where it came. It's vile spiritually. All it wants is to please itself, to fulfill itself. It serves sin. Paul, in Romans chapter 7, a believer, writes two-thirds of the New Testament. He says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. See, as a Christian, you need to realize that you're only two-thirds saved this morning. Why? Because you're a trinity. The part of you that is you, your soul, got born again when you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And your spirit, right, is now made one with God's spirit. But your flesh is still as lost as ever. That's why when it dies, it doesn't get raptured to heaven. It goes to the grave. It's waiting for the resurrection. You are a trinity. When God formed Adam, he formed him from the dust of the ground. That's why the flesh is vile. He breathes into his nostrils his spirit, the breath of life, and man becomes a living soul. When Adam sins in chapter 3, 
he is cut off from the life of God. And so also his children and theirs and me and mine. But the second Adam came and made the way of God's salvation available to everyone. So 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22, for as an Adam, he is our greatest grandpa. That's why we can look in a room like this and realize red, red, brown, yellow, black, and white, we're all cousins because our greatest grandfather is the same dude. It's Adam. And in Adam, we all die. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Verse 45 says, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. So that's how you are granted physical life through him. But the last Adam is made a quickening, a life-giving spirit. And it's through the last Adam, it's through Jesus, it's through his word and through his spirit that you receive eternal life. And the process is only completed. Your salvation, your eternal life is only finished when Christ comes again for his church at the resurrection. At that time, the last third of who you are being conformed to the image of Christ, that last phase is finally completed. And then physically, you may be conformed or being conformed. Maybe you are very much conformed to the image of Christ spiritually, but oh man, in your flesh still dwelleth no good thing. But that changes at the resurrection. It will be conformed to the image of Christ. Paul goes on to say in Romans 7, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And so he answers his own question in the next verse. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's who. So that work is at play. It starts at salvation, but it finishes at the resurrection. It's a trifold process. It's a triphase process of being conformed to the Lord Jesus Christ. It starts at salvation. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 9 says that we were dead in our sin. We had the sentence of death in ourselves. That's who we are in Adam, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. Verse 10 says who, right? God who delivered us from so great a death. That happened the moment you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's your salvation. But he also is continuing to deliver us and doth deliver. That's happened every day of our lives since our salvation. That process is called sanctification. Whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. And that will happen at Christ's return. That's when our bodies will be transformed. That's when we will be glorified with Christ When that happens, every promise in the Bible will then be made reality in your life. The Word of God will become reality. It will become wonder in a moment, in the instant, in the twinkling of an eye. We become everything that God has intended. Well, what has God intended your body to be? You may be in pretty good shape, and you're like, it's already pretty glorified. Okay, no, you haven't seen anything. Uh, You are nothing compared to what God plans for you to be. Now, I'm not 100% sure what we become, but I know based on what we can glimpse in God's Word, it will be, it will exceed our wildest expectation and imagination. Take everyone in the DC universe, everyone in the Marvel universe, they're punks. Verse four, or point number four, our flesh will be changed. We will be changed. Verse 21 says, he will change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. So our bodies will be like his. So look at 1 Corinthians 15 again, verse 35. Some people say, how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? And so Paul's response, look at the next verse. He's like, that's a good question. 
There are no stupid questions, just stupid question askers. He says, thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. Okay, hello, everybody knows this. Everybody did this, this styrofoam cup with the bean in third grade. You remember doing that? You had a little styrofoam cup and you put a bean in it in third grade. Everybody did that, right? Or has the educational system just gone completely to pot? You put a little seed in the styrofoam cup and you water it every day and it sets on the windowsill in your class and that bean becomes a plant and everybody gets to see it. Paul's like, hello, weren't you paying attention in third grade? What thou sowest, I mean, is what came out of the ground what went into the ground? No. That which thou sowest, thou sowest not the body that shall be. Another bean doesn't pop up out of the ground, but bare grain. You put the bean in the ground, it may be chance of wheat or some other grain, but God giveth it a body as it please him to every seed his own body. So as believers, this is the point. You know what a cemetery is to a Christian? It's a garden. Garden's your next blank. It's a garden. That's where we plant believers. That's why Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when he's describing the resurrection of the church, he says in verse 18, wherefore comfort one another with these words. When a believer dies, we've just planted a seed. We are sown as seed. Sown is your next blank. This is why believers don't get wound up weeping like the lost world weeps. Be like weeping over grass seed. Okay, it's fall. It's time to reseed. So I got some help this weekend. You know, it's going to rain this week. So I got some help, and I had Romeo help me plant some grass seed. And uh, yesterday, I walk into the, bad, the backyard, and there's Romeo, and he's weeping. He's crying. Big sobs, boo-hooing. I'm like, Romeo, what's wrong? And he says, it's going to rain this week, and all these precious seeds will be lost. We'll lose them all. They're going to be covered in water. The earth's going to cover them over, and they're going to, be, they're going to die, and I will lose these seeds forever, and I'll never see them again. And so Romeo's just weeping over the fescue. And so I'm thinking, well, Romeo's probably going to need some professional help. Might have to commit him. But I explained then the, the principle of farming to Romeo. And I said, Romeo, don't you know out of the decay of the seed comes the birth of a new plant? Don't you know something infinitely better is going to come out of the ground than what you're putting in? See, in time, when the sun shines and warms the soil, the life that's hidden in those fescue seeds, right, that will break from the prison of the soil, from the prison of their grave, and it's going to become something far better than the little seed that you put in. It'll be far more beautiful than a bag of fescue. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, the Son, capital S-U-N, the Son of righteousness will shine on the garden of Christian graves, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. See, the Son of God, S-U-N, right, the, the Lord Jesus Christ will shine on this earth, and we're going to sprout. And the life that comes out of these physical bodies will be glorious. It'll be, beyond, it'll be beyond compare. See, the hidden seed is in a decaying body. The life of God has already been placed in us. And when Christ comes back, that will burst forth from the grave. John chapter 5, verse 28 says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice, and they shall come forth 
they'd have done good unto the resurrection of life. And Paul's point is what goes in the ground will not be the same as what comes out of the ground. Cemeteries are just gardens for Christians. It's where they plant believers and wait for them to sprout and come up. You know, they put, we put, like a year ago, we buried my father-in-law, and we put a marker by his grave. It's no different than what your grandpa did in his garden. Be a little, little row of pea seeds in the road, right, in the garden. He buries those seeds, and then he puts a little tombstone at the edge of that road, and what does it say? Snow peas. Why? Because a snow, we put seeds in the ground, but plants are going to come out when the sun shines and warms them and calls the life out of them. Is everybody with me? Is this making sense? Tombstones are like little grave markers, right? They're little, they're little plot markers. The flesh, let's keep going. The flesh will be raised victorious. That's your next blank. So we will be like him. This is what it describes, that the flesh will be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. In 1 John 3, 2, the Bible says, Beloved, we are now, right now, the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he, when Jesus shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So you can't tell, by looking at a seed, you can't tell what the plant's going to look like. Now, you may know through experience to associate a corn kernel with a corn stalk, but you can't know what the corn stalk's going to look like by looking at the corn seed. Does that make sense? It's completely different, and it's by order of magnitude a greater glory, the corn stalk versus the corn kernel. Everybody's with me so far, right? So also the resurrection. You can't tell what we're going to look like, right? You can't tell what we're going to be like by looking at these bodies of flesh. You can't do it by staring, and your physical form may be fine. Compared to what it's going to be like, vile. Vile. I mean, you may look in the mirror and say, I'm hot. No, you're not. You don't even know what hot is. (laughs) One day, you will be glorious. Now, we know three things about the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 goes on to say in verse 42, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. Verse 43 says it's sown. The physical body is sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. So what we sow in the grave as corruption, dishonor, and weakness at the resurrection is the new life bursts forth as incorruption, glory, and power. And God's promise is that he fashions a new body out of our old one. He changes our vile body that it, our vile body, may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. So get that down, get it down in your notes. He makes a new body out of your old one. The, the, the spiritual DNA for the resurrected body, it's in the one you're carrying, the one you're walking around in right now. Joni Erickson Tata was made a quadriplegic by a teenage diving accident. She spent most of the last four decades of her life in discomfort and crippled weakness. And I want you to hear what she wrote. She said, somewhere my broken, paralyzed body is the seed of what I shall become. And the paralysis makes what I am to become all the more grand when you, ca- when you contrast atrophied, useless legs against splendorous, resurrected legs. I'm convinced that if there are mirrors in heaven, and why not, the image that I will see will be unmistakably Joni, 
although a much better, brighter Joni, so much so that it's not even worth comparing the two, the two Jonis, because I will bear the likeness of Jesus, the man from heaven. Man, that's good. That's good. So what's Jesus' body? If we're going to be like him, well, what's he like after the resurrection? Well, grab your Bible, turn to John chapter 20. In John chapter 20, you see that Jesus isn't just a spirit. If you look at verse 14, you see that Jesus was changed enough that Mary didn't automatically recognize him as Jesus until he reveals himself to her. She did recognize him as a man. So we'll be like him. It'll be like that. Uh, We'll be changed enough. We won't look exactly like we look now. We'll be changed. Verse 25, we see that he had physical form. He invites Thomas to touch his scars. In verse 15, you see John 20, verse 15, he's eating with the disciples. According to verse 19, Jesus passes through a closed door to be with the disciples. We're going to be like him. So we're going to be changed. We're going to look similar and yet very different. We'll have physical form that you can touch, that can eat, yet can walk through walls, closed doors. We'll be like him. Verse 1 says it's the first day of the week that she comes. It's dark. The stone's taken away. And she meets Jesus, and Jesus says, don't touch me. In verses 16 and 7, touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. We know from Hebrews 9 and 12 that he has a priestly duty that he has to perform for all mankind. And if sinful Mary touches him, right, she can't do it, right? He is pure before God. He's made this sacrifice. He gave his life, shed his blood for the sins of humanity, and his shed blood now has to be offered at the altar before the throne of God in the third heaven. So don't touch me. I've got a priestly duty to perform. I'm going to ascend unto my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. And then that same day, by early evening, verses 19 through 20, the disciples are meeting. Same day, that er, before dark, don't touch me. I got to go to the third heaven. Now it's early evening. The doors are shut. The disciples are assembled for fear of the Jews. Jesus comes and he stands in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. When the disciples, then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Now Luke's account gives more detail in Luke 24, in verses 33 through 43. You see the same thing. The disciples that walked with him on the road to Emmaus, they're telling the story. They talked about how he had revealed himself to them. He said, he said uh, um, you know, as they were getting ready to break bread, in the breaking of bread, they saw, they recognized he's Jesus. And so while they're telling the story, verse 36, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, peace be unto you. By the way, don't miss that picture. It's only after the sacrifice of Christ and the resurrected Christ is now in your life, that peace will be unto you. But there it is. They were frightened and terrified. Suppose that they'd seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why, why do thoughts arise in your heart? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for spirit hath not flesh and bones. And while they believed, while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, have you any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of a honeycomb. And he took and did eat before them. So we're going to be getting our grub on, y'all. That's the resurrected body. So think about this. Early morning, after Jesus resurrects, after speaking with Mary at the dark, he has a priestly function to perform in the third heaven. So he goes and presents himself to the heavenly Father. 
makes a presentation of his blood for sin. He couldn't be touched then, but now he's back. So he went from the tomb to the third heaven. I mean, that's, and now he's back and he's having supper with the, with the boys. I mean, what's up with that? Okay, they say that you could travel at the speed of light for millennia. You'll be dust long before you leave the Milky Way. And there are millions, and that rapidly turned into billions of galaxies in the universe. And now some people are saying there might be trillions of galaxies in the universe. So to go from Jerusalem to the third heaven and back, there's not even a word to describe that kind of travel. Uh, you can't even talk about it in terms of the speed of light. It is the sp- he had a body that could fold space-time and be in it. he could travel at the speed of thought, y'all. So he could go, put in a day of work in the third heaven, and be back on planet Earth in one day? Come on, man. That's amazing. Superman's a wuss. We will be like him. In his resurrection, let me give you some homework. Revelation chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. In his resurrection, Jesus is dreadfully awesome. He's spectacular in glory. Revelation 1, 10 through 17. We will be like him. Now, I don't understand it. I just know it's going to be awesome. I can't explain how out of a dead bean or a dead corn grain, right, a kernel of corn, the glory of the corn plant that follows, that comes up out of that grave, I just know it's true. I can see that with my own eyes. And according to 1 Corinthians 15, one day the Son, capital S-U-N, of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. He will shine his face, and y'all, I'm going to sprout. The life of God that is in my flesh, that is hidden in my flesh, will burst forth. 1 Corinthians 15, 20, uh, 52 describes it this way. It happens in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. One day we'll laugh at COVID. We'll laugh at cancer. We'll laugh at any... Man, can't touch this. There'll be a hymn in heaven. Can't touch this. Okay. Incorruptible. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed, swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? In a moment, when Jesus shines his face at the rapture, I will become indestructible, immortal. I'll be like him. So will you if you're a believer. And what's so cool is that it's a process that's already begun. It's hidden on the inside, but the reality of it is certain. You know how I know? The day I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior, God put his life in me, and it is now getting ready. It is growing spiritually. I am being conformed. This is something I'm not, it's not me. God's doing this, right? God, Romans 8, predestined me to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a process that he is working out in me. And so I am maturing spiritually so that the freak out won't be so bad whenever I'm transformed. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, 
we shall be like him. Well, how's he going to do that? Philippians 3 ends with the answer. It's according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things, even able, able even to subdue all things unto himself. He does it by his power, the power of God. It's something that God's doing on the inside of the believer. Ephesians 1 says that that work is present tense in my life. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is right now present tense at work in the life of the believer. Do you know why you forget to keep your focus on a future resurrection? It's because you don't know the power of God at work in your life. You don't see, you don't believe that God as your Father loves you and He's working on you right now, that He's getting you ready for the resurrection. You don't really trust Him. Do you know who I am? You said, well, you're saying, no, I'm a son of God. First John makes that very clear. I'm an eternal creature whose life is now one with Christ. Second Corinthians 5, 17 says, I'm a new creature in Christ. My old life has already passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It's amazing. I'm in, I'm in direct now, direct contact, 24-7, with the creator of the universe. Hebrews 10 says, I have direct access 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, I'm one spirit with the creator of the universe. Do you know who I am? I am a son of God. Now, you either believe that or you don't. Do you know who you are? Do you know who God has made you to be in the person of Christ? This is why it's when we forget that that we think we got something going on in the flesh. Like, hey, these guys back in 18 and 19, chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, they got... Man, look at them. They're pursuing a life in the flesh. Their God is their belly. They're trying, to, they're trying to please and make themselves happy in the flesh. Now, what a waste of the life of the child of God. Who do you think you are? If you've made Christ your Lord and Savior, you have an incredible destiny. You are created to be eternally one with God himself. Don't forget that. Moment by moment, we have to be reminded, don't we? I know I do. So what are you going to do about it? If you get that your life is one with God, we can't finish chapter 3 without looking at chapter 4 and verse 1. In light of all of that, therefore, why is Philippians chapter 4 verse 1 there? Because of everything we've seen in chapter 3. Therefore, my beloved, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and my crown, watch it, so stand ye fast in the Lord. Because you will be like him, live for him today. Stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. And what we're going to see in chapter 4, all these in chapter 4 is just a list of commands that are to be lived out in light of the resurrection. Instruction to be carried out in light of the fact that one day you're going to be resurrected to eternal life. You know why Christians live defeated in sin? is because they forget that their life's focus is on Christ. They forget that their life's focus is supposed to be on Christ. They put it on the part that's dead already. Their focus gets on their flesh. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul ends the same, right? The same way that he did with the church at Philippi. He says, in light of the resurrection, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You live right, you invest your life right when you understand the resurrection. And when you don't, when you forget that, that's when your focus gets on your flesh. 
Life's all about making your belly happy, not pleasing the Lord. So why straggle along trying to please the flesh when God made you to be a conqueror in Christ? Well, I need a glazed donut right now. <laughs> well, no. God's dealing with your heart right now. I, 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 I got to spend my life building the perfect she shed. Well, maybe you need a she shed. Maybe you need a man cave. As long as that's going to help you with the mission. But come on, why waste your life trying to build some heaven on earth when this is the place of our cross? Let's embrace it. Let's lay our lives down in light of the resurrection tomorrow. Two-thirds of you is already right with Christ. All that's left is for the flesh to be transformed. So get this down before we close. And Brandon, or uh, Brian, is Bustos here? Uh, if we can um, close in some worship, that would be pretty great. Here's the key. You want to live your life in the reality of your eternity, and you'll do that. If, you're, if your eternal destiny is separation from God and hell, well, then you're going to live like hell. But if your life is hid with Christ and God, well, then live in light of that reality. You need to understand that you're only here right now. Only your flesh remains to be moved. So know that you're accepted in the beloved. You're alive in Christ. You're victory. You have direct access to God right now. So I want to invite you right now. Don't approach God as a worm, okay? Approach him as his child. Now, in the flesh, you're a worm. Compared to him, a worm. That's who you are in the flesh. But that's not who you are anymore. I'm not who I am in the flesh. My flesh, all it wants is, it's selfish. All it wants is what it wants. All it cares about is what it cares about. So I don't need to waste my life on that. Does this make sense? Why would I do that? My flesh, if I, if I see that I've sinned in the flesh, and then I just spend the next month mourning that. No, I need to confess that. I need to agree with God over it, but I don't need to waste my life being disappointed that my flesh let me down. That's all it was ever going to do, right? My life is hid in Christ, in God. That's my, God's life is in me. That's where my focus, and if that's where my focus is, that's where my life's focus is going to be. That's how I'm going to live. So don't approach God as a worm, in the flesh, you're a worm, but even that will be changed. Don't put your focus on the If it's there, you've already lost the fight. Your confidence is in the wrong dog in the fight. Keep it on Christ. Keep it on the resurrection. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in you than the flesh that you're in. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The world and its devil God. God's made you his child, so don't Mock your father by viewing his work in you as ineffective, inefficient, right? We, I think we got too much of a confidence problem in our God, our, our perspective. We got a confidence perspective. It's in crisis because we don't see God right. Maybe it's because you had a messed up relationship with your father and you're, you're transferring that onto your relationship with your heavenly father. I don't know. He is a good, good father. He is a perfect father. He's a loving father. Do you believe what he said over your life? Get full of faith and live the life that he's calling you to. Paul says, I'm striving, I'm attaining, I'm reaching. I want a better resurrection. I know it's coming, and my focus on it is what keeps me motivated in ministry. So here's the bottom line. This morning, we need to reckon our flesh dead, knowing that even it will be raised right.
when God is finished with us, we'll be completely delivered from the bondage of sin. I'd like us to bow our heads and close our eyes. And here, because of time, we're going to have to be efficient right now. We're going to close in an atmosphere of praise and worship because some need to get ready for the next service. But is there any here this morning that would say, Pastor, would you pray for me before we close? Because I'm recognizing my focus has been on fulfilling my life in the flesh, not on living the life of Christ in me. Could you pray for me? I need to repent today, and I need to quit pursuing a life in the flesh. I need to pursue Christ. Pastor, would you pray for me? Is there anyone? Okay, so there's, there's a number. There's several. Okay, I'll, I'll pray for you. Is there any that would say, Pastor, please pray for me? Because I've already done that. And so help me, God, by his grace. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to strive. I'm going to reach. My, the goal of my life is going to be to press into knowing Christ, knowing the fellowship of his suffering, right? I want to I know the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. I want to be made conformable to his death, and I need continuing grace for that. Uh, I'm, I'm in. Would you pray for me that, that I'd have that grace? Is there anybody like that? Okay, so a number. Everybody else, I want to challenge you. Are you on the fence? I mean, are you just kind of going through the motions? Don't do that. Um, Don't just go through the motions. You're either in one of two camps. You're either pursuing a life of fulfillment in the flesh or a life of fulfillment in Christ. And not deciding is deciding. If we're not actively for Christ, guess what? We're with the enemies of the cross of Christ. And so I'm praying that, that you'll be challenged to not be passive, but to be daily in decision to lay your life down in knowing Christ. Father, you see our hands and, and you see those that, that know you and recognize that they've been pursuing life and fulfilling the flesh. And then others who have made the decision, they're not about that. They're about you and your mission. Okay, thank you, Lord. But Lord, we want to say right now in Jesus' name that we all need your grace. Open our eyes. Pour out your spirit on us in repentance. Be glorified in us as we live for you. And God, for those who are indifferent, passive, God, I pray that, Lord, in ways that only you can, Lord, would you wake us up? Lord, would you bring us to a point of decision and consecration all for your glory and all in Jesus' name? Amen.